I'm Chris Lindstrom, and this is the Food About Town podcast. In this episode of the podcast, James Brown from USA Today came over to the studio. Uh, I previously knew him from his work over at WXXI in City Newspaper, and it was great to have him over to the studio. Turns out we had just a ton in common. We had a really wide-ranging conversation surrounding you know his career path, journalism, and just shared interests and kind of had a real conversation. I really enjoyed talking with James, and I hope you enjoyed listening to it. Um, so if you do, make sure you subscribe to the USA's daily podcast, which James is involved with, called Five Things. comes out every morning, and it's a good opportunity to learn about what's going on for the day, and you get to hear James' voice on a pretty regular basis. So definitely recommend subscribing to that. And otherwise, uh, make sure you go to curatemeals.com. We're really excited to be revisiting one of our absolute favorite restaurants that we've worked with. So hope you can join us for that upcoming event. Pick up at the historic German house. We're back to doing wine pairings again, which is super exciting. Thanks to the change in New York state laws. We're coming up on a year and a half of doing Curate now, and it's been one of the biggest pleasures I've had working in and around the Rochester food and drink scene. So uh, if you have tried Curate, let me know what you've thought. And if you have uh, ideas of how we can continue to grow here in Rochester and benefit so many small restaurants. Um, otherwise, we have episodes coming up with uh, Luis Perez from Peels on Wheels, one of my absolute favorite pizzerias here in Rochester, and some planned mini episodes and some really interesting guests coming up as well. Hoping to do a preview of the Rochester Cocktail Revival, one of my favorite events every year. But it's time for this episode with James Brown from USA Today. Hope you enjoy and let me know what your thoughts are. And we're back with another episode of the Food About Town podcast. It's a wintry day, a little bit melty today. It feels nice. We had some snow. Now we're getting some cleanup. And I'm here with a guest that we haven't spent a lot of time in person, but I'm excited to chat with you today. Why don't you introduce yourself, sir? My name is James Brown. I am an audio journalist. Audio journalist. Well, how, how did we... How did we come across each other? I think we've met once or twice, but not many times. Well, the last time I was at Cure with Rebecca Raftery. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were just chatting and you were at the bar. It was like a boys night out or something. You said you had, um, if I remember correctly, you Ubered there or lifted there. It was not long after Lyft got to Rochester. Okay. And you were, were you know... Having a few. That sounds about right. That yeah. is a place I've been known to frequent, hanging out with my buddy Donnie Clotterbuck behind the bar. And if I remember correctly, we had a conversation that inspired this invite initially. Yep. And it was about cheap food. Oh, yeah, that's probably right. And I think we've been trying to schedule this for a hot minute now. Yeah, easily. But we're here. And, you know, the whole pandemic thing got us a little bit uh, off track. But we're here, and so you said audio journalist. Let's let people know what you're doing now so they can find you, and we'll talk about the history after. Currently, I work for USA Today. Okay. I am a host and producer of a podcast called Five Things, and I also work on other various audio projects there. Okay. So what what is that What is that uh, project, the five, five Things or Five Things? Five Things. Okay. What, is that, what does that entail? Five Things entails, uh, it's a news Straightforward news podcast, I'd say. Okay. Day to day, we conduct interviews with people around the world and uh, our reporters stationed everywhere. So 
we collect sound like you would for any news broadcast and compile them into a nice condensed consumable podcast, usually under 15 minutes on a daily show. I host one edition a week, which is an in-depth, usually Sunday episode where I go a little bit deeper and uh, this week, this upcoming week, we're actually going to spend a good 20, 25 minutes discussing the process of becoming a Supreme Court justice. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. I mean, that's obviously of the moment. So we're recording on the 26th of February right now. And the uh, newest Supreme Court nominee just got announced, what, yesterday in the midst of all the other chaos going on. Totally. And it's kind of a monumental, uh, monumental appointment. Well, at least proposed appointment, anyways. Yes, nomination. Yes, so that's a uh, that's a big one. It's the first uh, African American, yeah, African American female to be nominated. Yes, and hopefully, hopefully approved in the near future. But I'm sure we have a lot of um, problematic things coming up. Yeah, we'll see. I I would bet most Supreme Court uh, uh, nominations by presidents are approved and uh, they're confirmed, but. Here or there, some people get borked, for example. <laughs> I mean, that's Robert Bork. And, you know, the fact that your name is, like, synonymous with being punted is just, like, got to be kind of sad. Absolutely. And it, but it is also a tremendous name for that. It has that, you know, onomatopoeia. Am I, am I using that right? Is that, or am yeah. I using, so the word that sounds like a sound? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it just sounds like it has a punch. Bork. Borked. <laughs> it sounds right. It sounds like it'd be like a video game term that I don't understand because I'm old now. <laughs> <laughs> so you're old. You're old too. Yeah, I think we're about the same age. I'm oh, 38. I'm 37. Yes. Okay. So like we we have the same connotation of video games. Like oh, I played games like I played NHL '97 relentlessly and you know Madden on the Genesis and I played Crash Bandicoot. Oh, my wife's a big Bandicoot fan. Yeah, absolutely. It was great. We just got the new version on the uh, on the Xbox One. That's all like a, it's a whole new game. It's all remastered and modern and wow, stuff. Wow, I gotta try that. It's really cool. Nice. They remastered the original into like modern like HD graphics, very cool, 4K graphics. Yeah. And then they came out with a whole new game too. They also got to do that to Duck Hunt. Oh yeah. I, mean, I don't know if the new TVs would work with that because they're all like anti-reflective and ooh, OLEDs. No, you need CRT for Duck Hunt. Oh, yeah. A big CRT. Yeah, yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> the ones that are hard to carry into a room. And I I just loved just the aiming and shooting. It was just great. It's a quality game. Oh, totally. Yeah. I and, mean. And you got it for free, too. Absolutely. I mean, how a dual game in one cartridge. It was great. Yeah. I mean, a little bit. I always, this is a common thing for people that played the Nintendo all the time, but I had a specific method that I blew on the inside of the cartridges to make sure they worked. Oh yeah, of course. Like mine was always like, it was a very like breathy, soft breath just to get it nice. And then, then a powerful breath to try to clean it out. Mine was always more aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's going to work really well. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like you always figure out your own little thing. And there's no rhyme or reason. It didn't actually do that much, but it felt like it did a lot. Well, the power of positive thinking. 
Is this the secret of Nintendo games? Absolutely. <laughs> the ultimate placebo effect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, for kids like us, it's like, oh yeah, this is all that matters. I need the game to work right now. If I can't play Contra, the world is over. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, well, we got off track already. <laughs> so I know we've run across each other in person, and then we, um, you know, we've uh, interacted on social media on mm-hmm. and off over the years, and. All sorts of different things from, you know, sports to local events and everything else. And mostly I knew you from working at WXXI for uh, a long time, if I remember correctly. Uh, three-ish years, three and a half. Three okay. Years. So uh, where where did you, where were you, uh, where did you start your career in reporting? Uh, that was my first full-time reporting job. I okay. freelanced prior to that and I worked in journalism prior to that. But uh, as a front-facing reporter, that was my first full-time role. Okay, so what, what kind of journalism were you in when you started? I started at the very, very bottom, as far, as low on the totem pole as you could get. I was working overnights, uh, 11, no, uh, 1.30 a.m. to 8.30 a.m. shift at News 10 NBC here in town. Wow. I was an associate producer. I was making $10 an hour. And I was doing everything from writing 10, usually about 10 stories a day. That's like BuzzFeed level of stories per day. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, at the ground level, it's good because it's all about reps. Yeah. You need to go from doing nothing to getting up to the fact that being able to turn around things quickly. Mm. And you're usually working with, content that you're not gathering content at that point. Usually you're building, whether it's building off the AP or building off of different content that, that has been gathered by reporters or, or by assignment managers, that kind of thing. So you're, you're building on someone else's content and you're turning it into broadcast level copy. Um, so and sometimes you are all, you're also working with content that's gathered by photojournalists. They're out in the field. There's a fire, And there's a press release or you have to call the fire department or you have to call strong or wherever to gather information to pair with the information in that video. You have to to start with nothing but a video and a soundbite usually, and then build from there. Yeah. It's, um, the quickness of creating content is something that's always evaded me. I've always been bad at it, but I do it less intensively than 10 times an evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I assume that would kind of uh, burn that into you really quickly. Sure. Very much so. And it's like going right into the deep end and just like, okay, can you flow kid? You, we think we saw something in your writing. Something you've learned something. We think you have a good degree with the Niagara university. And like, we, we feel like we feel like you're talented enough to do this. We'll throw you in there, kid. We'll give you some pointers. Figure it out. <laughs> and that's just the way it was. Yeah. It's a immersive learning experience. And then on top of that, at the same time, you're like, at that point, we were still stacking beta tapes. Oh, wow. We had not gone digital at that point. Oh, God. Right. Because so, that's, I mean, we're, we're at the same time. So I definitely had, I think I still had VHS tapes and stuff like that in 2000. That would have been what, 2005, 2006? 2007, I got there. Okay, okay. The station was late at transitioning, transitioning to digital. Mm. And at, uh, so uh, Mona Otto 
and I forget the middle one. But uh, <laughs> but there were three <laughs> different beta beta stacks oh, that you God. had to do. You were given a list. You had to put it in perfect order. If you did, it had it in the wrong order at all, you are screwing up TV for about 40,000 people, <laughs> which I did plenty of times. I'm sure. And uh. at the same time, you're listening to scanners. At the same time, and then for half of the morning show, you'd be running teleprompter. Oh, boy. So you're just running around like a, like a madman. Oh, wow. That's crazy. So you went to school for journalism or were you doing for something For communication and, and writing. Okay. Did you grow up here in Rochester or were you? Yes. Okay. So, born and raised. Uh, born and raised in Rochester. Yeah, I grew up in uh, South Towns of Buffalo. So Right. Which one? Uh, Boston, New York. Okay. Interesting. I had not been to that one. I did spend, I'm a Niagara grad, so I did spend time in the area and I spent some time after I graduated around there as well. Okay. I don't recall Boston. Down near Hamburg. I guess. Okay. I know Hamburg. So I went to Hamburg high school. We're not big enough to have a high school. Oh, that's kind of sad. Yeah. So we had to get bussed into, into the, into the main town. So it's a minimum 15 plus minute from where I am to the high school. And then it's like an hour bus ride probably every morning. Do they treat you different? Uh, those, yeah, those a little Boston, bit. Boston, yeah. New York kids. Oh, yeah, for sure. But we're, we're almost country. Like, we're, we're uh, like the last town before it's like a country town. Okay. So we're small, but like they have an elementary school. But when you get to like the country towns like Springville, mm-hmm. whole different whole different vibe. Sure. So we're like the last bastion of non-full country before you get to cows. Right. Although we have farms in our area. Oh, and there's a lot of cows in that area. Oh, yeah, a lot of cows. Yes. <laughs> um, so you were doing the TV stuff, you're working overnight, and then where did that transition into a non-you-get-to-have-regular-hours-and-sleep-like-a-normal-person style? When does that happen? <laughs> that happens? Does, that, that's actually an interesting question. Like, does that always, is it always that way? Not always that way. A lot of it's luck of the draw. Mm. When you get hired what role they're looking for. Usually in most, especially someone who starts off in broadcasting. And I think it's generally true with radio as well as TV. You're going to start by working some weird, weird, weird ass hours. Mm. And even my next shift there, because I got promoted after about six, seven, eight months there, I was doing weekend assignment desks. So I was setting up stories and it was more, I was still writing and do, doing teleprompter and those other stuff, but that was less of my total work product. I went from being 80% of my job to about 40% of my job. And then the other chunk was sort of figuring out how to, working with reporters, working with photojournalists to gather news for different news programming. And I did that for about two or Two years or three years, one or, one or the other, before I ended up leaving, um, and that was—I'll I'll explain that schedule because I yeah. was all over the place as well. Oh sure, I think I got in at about two or two thirty on a Friday. Okay, and I would leave at by seven, and then the next morning I'd have to be there at eight eight thirty. Perfect, and I was. Be there until three thirty or four, huh? And then I'd do that on Sunday as well. Yeah. And then my schedule would flip again, 
I'd work from, I believe, 4 or 4.30. I'm not sure which one it was. It's either 4 or 4.30, and I'd be there till after the 11 o'clock show. Mm. So usually 11.30. A lot of nights it ended up being 12 because there's stuff going on. So, and I do that for two nights. And then my days off were uh, Wednesday and Thursday. Right, as most people's are. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just the a matter of fact with the news business. You are going to work weird hours. Yeah. Until you stay there long enough and you survive, out-survive people who are dropping like flies because it's a meat grinder. Right. It kind of burns you. I have to imagine it burns you out physically and mentally just because, like, one, it's, you know, it's intense work. There's a lot of, you know, heavy subjects all the time and all totally. that kind of stuff. But also, like, it's like the hours when you talk to uh, nurses and you talk to people that are working those huge shifts and overnights. It's It burns you out. It's exactly the same as nursing. Yeah. There's no difference between writing news stories <laughs> and working in a hospital. <laughs> well, a little, a little more, uh, a little tougher, especially in certain areas. But, I mean, the hours are kind of, hours are kind of rough. Yeah, very close. It's actually not all that different in terms of hours yeah. uh, than nursing. Um, and it burns you out. I certainly was burned out. I was offered a bunch more money to not do it. And that's why I left and ended up working in web content. Oh, web content. At, back then, that's what it was called. Web okay. Content. So I was editing websites. Okay. So was that uh, more generic or was it a specific kind of news? I or started with sports. Okay. And football related content and uh, worked there for a while, ended up updating news websites around the country. Uh, I, you know, I was that kid in college who was obsessively upgrading my MySpace page. Mm -hmm. So I learned HTML and that fed me for several years. Absolutely. Especially when you're, when you're in it early enough where you can do the, do the adjustments because like, I think like I grew up without, you know, uh, broadband internet, right? I had dial-up internet. Same here. Till I got to college. Same here. So, like, we had that difference where you understand the classics, you understand all that stuff because you were. You know, I was eighteen when I had broadband internet for the first time. Yeah. And oh, did you have a T one line? Oh yeah. Yeah, man, that was you know, great. We were on the the internet backbone. I two backbone at the U of. I went to the U of R. Mm -hmm. Um, because I was I was smart but dumb enough to not have rich parents, ah. and I went to a private school. Okay, <laughs> so I paid for that for a little while. Yeah. Oh, I'm still paying for mine. Yeah, thankfully I got you know I've been an engineer since I graduated. See, so see, you went into the smart professions. <laughs> I went to the storytelling professions. Well, I love I love the storytelling stuff, and I think it was it's weird. Like I fell into I fell into something that was easy for me. Because that's just how my brain works. Like math is math comes cleanly to me. I understand it, and I can work in that kind of context pretty easily. And I I still work in that field. I work in automation mm -hmm. for my day job, um, but I don't think I knew who I was at all until much later into my mid late twenties. I didn't know who I was. You know, I had things I liked, but I didn't really understand what I wanted, what I loved doing you know, the kind of passions that, you know, that drive you to do all the other things you do other than like for me, my day job, which I enjoy a lot, but it's not my full passion for everything. 
I think that's where we're very different. Yeah. Like, I decided that I was going to write and talk for a living when I was like seven. Really? Yeah. Was there, was there like a moment that you recall? Easily. Yeah. Yeah. So I ended up writing a spinoff of the Three Little Pigs. Of course, as you do. Because that's what you do when yeah. you're when you're like seven. Like, they're like, hey, will you write a story? I was like, all right. I had this idea. I'm going to send them to Sacramento. <laughs> I mean, the obvious place, sunny Sacramento, where to- do you send the Three Little Pigs? Totally, man. You got them, man. <laughs> so I, I wrote this thing. It was like, I don't know. It was long for a seven-year-old. It was like 150 words. And I was like, that's dope. <laughs> and I'd always been a kid who was just read a ton and just started. I wouldn't stop talking. Yeah. And and it would drive my family nuts. <laughs> and it was just clear that the things I was drawn to, the people I was drawn to, were people who talked for a living. I got obsessed with radio and TV and talk show hosts. And I got to, you know, thinking, man, that's really cool. And I want to do that. I don't know how I'm going to do that. But I'm going to do that. And I got this, um, this boom box with the two cassette decks. Oh, you got to have the two cassette decks. And what I started to do was learn how to dub different tracks and re- learn how to record bits from radio shows onto my cassettes and then mi- pe- mix them together into little pastiches and creating my own little insane intros to my own like fake show at the time. To your own, the, to the James Brown morning zoo. Absolutely. As you do. You, you have to because <laughs> that's, what, that's what you do when you're 11 or 12. Yeah. And... and, and 37. <laughs> <laughs> so you, I, I, I knew that somehow, some way that I was going to write and talk and make stuff for a living. I find that really interesting because even though it wasn't as early for me, like music was all music was a thing for me, but it wasn't huge. I, I listened to the same things that gave me comfort. You know, I was a, you know, I was a weird kid, you know, so it was, you know, like Dr. Demento and Weird Al Yankovic and all that stuff because I was at home and that's what I listened to. And it was what I, and then it was angry music, of course. And when you're in high school, because, you know, of course, angry, miserable, yeah, angry, miserable kid. But similarly, the thing that, changed my entire perspective on how to be a social person was talk radio. And because I always listened to sports radio when I was a kid, I was a, I was a GR listener, WGR Ah, listener. I listened to it at night. I would, you know, just sit there and listen to that. And I think I always gravitated towards it. And what helped me turn into a better social person was guy talk radio in the mid two thousands. Ah, so, were you an Opie and Anthony guy? After. So, it was Don and Mike first. Of course. Yeah, I remember Don and Mike. So, it was Don and Mike and then Opie and Anthony for many years. Every day, I never missed I never missed a whole episode. I would grab it after, listen to the whole three-hour show every day. Mm-hmm. And for many, many years, at least probably a decade, I listened to every single episode of that show. 
Yeah. Um, and it completely changed. It completely changed how I interacted with people. Not quite as in a negative way as some of the, you know, a lot of the content going on. Sure. But the, the ability to hang, you sure. know, to, to, to bust balls, to hang out and not be, I was soft. I didn't, I wasn't able to be confident in what I liked and how I wanted to interact with people. And that completely pivoted the way I thought about it. And it was through friends and through that and through other stuff that helped me learn all that stuff. But those things completely changed my perspective. And I, I complete, I, I understand when you say that, like it's mattered a lot to me, those kind of, you know, relationships with the shows. Absolutely. And I think uh, I have very different relationships with both of those shows. And a lot of those shows, I, I, I enjoy them both in different ways. Of course. I enjoy the production of Don and Mike, especially their intros. Yes. Wonderful. They would, they would do sometimes two, three minute intros with soundbite after soundbite after soundbite after soundbite. Usually, um, the the theme song was some, usually from some game show mm-hmm. or or something from the seventies because those dudes were like in their forties or fifties at that time. Yeah, and it was very it's very a modern a modernized version of that. When I said morning zoo before oh. that eighties when radio was radio time translated into the two thousands totally, and they were so nostalgic for it, and yeah. you could hear it in their content. They would even use drops. From the those old morning zoo days, they did a morning zoo at one point, mm-hmm. and they are kind of that classic radio duo in that they f- fight on air, they they get in, ended up in radio wars. Oh God! And, and they ended up uh, breaking up. Oh, for sure. That's the way that radio duos work. Yeah, it's almost hard not to after all those years of hours and hours of every day, all those little differences just expect those cracks just can't help but break open because one, you need more content. You have to mine your personal life all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's like, Holy cow. It's so, it's a lot. Like I love talking to people, but if I had to talk to somebody for three hours every day, it's like, it has to develop over time. I'm looking forward to it. It it, it is something that will happen eventually for me. And somehow, some way, uh, it is my my end goal is whatever radio or or, or the audio future looks like, I'd love to to have a show like that where I'm yapping with people for for, uh, three hours a day. Oh, it's... It's... That was always the romantic ideal, right? Like... Just somebody grabbing content for you, you know the, you know the the young James Brown grabbing content for you, <laughs> um, you know aggregating all that stuff. So you have that big list of topics. You got sound bites. You get everything else. Then you just riff. You just mm-hmm. riff forever. And it's like, oh, oh man, it sounds so good. <laughs> well, that speaks to the magic of O and A. Yeah, which was a different vibe in that that. Don and Mike was so structured. Absolutely. And Opie and Anthony was so unstructured. A hundred percent. And they would have that young guy, Sam Roberts. Oh, you got to love Sam Roberts. Who obviously ended up inheriting the show. Yep. And working for everything he loves. He, he's he's kind of one of those people you're like, oh, wow, you've lived the whole path. Totally. But you've 
you have done it your way. And now he does like, does everything he loves in life. He's, he's one of those people you can't not like be not proud of. Cause we're the same, oh, we're yeah. the same age, but oh, yeah. like at the same time, I'm, Oh, I'm proud of him. A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. They go from in unpaid intern and who being uh, shit on. Yeah. I don't know. Can I, I don't know. Yeah, if it's profanity. Sure. Here. We are. Okay. On Un- unpaid intern being shit on to producer to, I got my own weird podcast. to I got mm-hmm. my own show to, Oh, I get to inherit the show that I interned on. Yeah. To like, oh, I get to host uh, for WWE, and what what else? He he also got like all sorts of everything he loved. He brought to light, and yeah. I was like, man, that's just an impressive run. Well, impressive I think run. It's the kind of thing where you look you look at it right, and I look at it from a different perspective. Like you've been driving towards this, driving towards this your whole career. And for me, it's how I structure everything else other than my day job that I do is like, how can I, how can I do the things that I love? Cut out as much of the stuff I don't want to do about the things I love Mm -hmm. (laughs) and still do this kind of stuff because these are the things that bring, you know, bring flavor to my life. It's eating, you know, going out and eating amazing food. Mm -hmm. It's talking to cool people. I mean, this kind of conversation, like this is everything I love about interviewing and having conversations with people is like, Oh, got it. We're the same person when it comes to a lot of this stuff. Sure. Sure. And that's like, Oh yeah. Those countless hours I've listened to that stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it, it framed who I am today. Yeah, no absolutely. Doubt. Um, I, I'd say it did for me as well. Those guys, uh, and there's certainly others that that fit that realm as well. I've been a huge Tony Kornheiser fan forever. Sure, his career is my ideal. I mean, he it's a lofty goal, but like his the fact that this guy, at one point, he was on TV, mm-hmm. uh, best known for PTI at this point on ESPN. Pardon the interruption. He had his own radio show where he would literally come on and talk about his dogs. He'd come on and talk about traffic. let talk about going to, I, I was listening to his podcast recently, and he spent a good 20 minutes complaining because <laughs> the post office would not take change. They would not take cash. It was credit only, and I brought cash. <laughs> well, I mean... I'd say the defining characteristic of Tony Kornheiser is he is a curmudgeonly journalist. He's a curmudgeonly journalist. That's who he is. That is him to a T. There is nothing about him that isn't curmudgeonly. And I think this fits into your to your your goal there, yeah. right? Where he's just simply going on the air and being himself. No doubt. And that's made him millions. That's made his life fun. That's... That's all his work has been. Yeah. When I, I have a couple of his books and it, they're just his columns from the Washington Post days. And it's just him talking about <laughs> and cracking jokes. Yeah. And trying to be a little profound notes here. And he just gets to pour himself out. Yeah. And I, I think that's based on what I'm hearing from you. That's what I hear your desire as. Yeah, I think it's, you know what, these, 
sometimes it's hard to hard to get to the core of it. Um, our, I think both of our friend, uh, the Juan Juan Vasquez, yeah. one of my good buddies, I met at uh, curling and introed me to many people around you know local journalism. One of one of the truly good people in local. Oh, Juan's a great guy. One of one of my favorite people. Yeah. Um, I had this idea, re- you know, somewhat recently that I just locked into my brain, like, oh, I met this person. I wanted to do this thing. I've had this concept in my head I wanted to do for a show. And, and I was like, oh, I can do four or five hours just talking to this guy. Mm-hmm. And he asked me a question that just threw me for a loop when he asked me. And he was right to ask it, is why do you have to do that show? Why does it have to be you that does that? I didn't have a good answer for him. And I think the way my brain works is just like, oh, this is a story nobody's doing. Like, I have to do it. But it's not always, that doesn't get to the core of why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Why, why is it, you know, why do you have to do this? Why do you have to tell that story? Could you have somebody else tell it? Is it your story to tell? Um, I, I don't know the answer to those. It's just, it brought up a lot of questions in me. And I've been trying to work through that actually over the last few months. Um, you know, I talked to a coach once because I wanted to, you know, investigate that a little more and try to boil down, like, how, how do I do what I do? What am I really good at? And how, like, how do I do more of that? But without, without trying to do everything because it's too much. You can't do everything. You can't, you can't do 50 different things. You have to boil it down to what are the things you're going to do with the time you have. And I'm still trying to do better at that. I'm not great at it. I think we all are in some degree of that. I'll share your mind yeah. and how I came to my conclusion. And it helped me. It helps really explain the, the gap in the, in what we discussed, right? So I'm, I'm working on web content, let's say, I don't know, eight years ago or so. And then I transitioned into social media marketing and, and overall marketing communications world. And I'm sitting in a cubicle. And I am miserable. Yeah. I'm creating content. I'm working for these companies and I am loathing it. I mean, loathing it. And then I get laid off. Then I get another one of these jobs. And then I get laid off again. And I'm just sitting in my apartment and I'm like, what the hell? Like, (laughs) What did I do? What am I doing to myself? And I was like, you know what? I got, I got, I got, I got to get back. I got, I got to make a plan. I got, I got to somehow figure this out. And then I ended up working in for a nonprofit and doing similar work. And I am still like, I'm the type of person that if they're not working hard they find ways to work harder if i and it's usually when i'm not enjoying something Mm. 
And I know that's a that's a little for most folks I talk to, that's not normal. Usually if you if you are doing something you don't enjoy, you don't do more of it. I was just like, okay, I'm gonna make this harder on me. I can make this easier on me, I'll make it harder on me. It's almost like I'm punishing me. I completely understand that. I've been there in some of my prior jobs in automation where I didn't love what I was doing, but I worked a ton of hours and I was grinding myself. I was coming every weekend and doing the stuff. And I work more efficiently now because I actually enjoy what I'm doing. I would say the same. Yeah. Even uh, in both of, as I, as I trended back toward journalism and writing and doing creative things, I was like, Oh, I was able to like create this freelancing career around journalism while I was doing this other job. And it didn't feel like more work. Yeah. It's like, okay. And I was like, man, I'm happiest doing this. I'm going to do that. And then that led me back to, to XXI and eventually the USA Today. Yeah. And it was just me sort of coming to the point where, man, I don't want to wake up with full salt and pepper hair. I have mostly salt and pepper hair. I don't want to, I don't have, I don't want to be without, I want to, I don't want to be just with salt hair and just thinking, man, why didn't I fucking just take a chance? Right. So in order to, you know, get to the point where I have my own, uh, you know, Don and Mike show or Tony Kornheiser show at some point. I needed to put myself into position to do that. Put myself into position and on the way, do things that I enjoy. So I took a sh- I took shots. Yeah. So I advise anyone in that circumstance where you're, <laughs> you're miserable and you see the path there. Just get up and walk the path. Even if it means doing 50, 60 hours of work a week, it's worth it. You're, you'd be happier that way. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell a quick anecdote and then we'll go to break and we'll talk about something probably completely different right after. Sure. Which is what you do on a morning zoo radio show. <laughs> um, we'll be right back. <laughs> um, so I, it's intriguing when you mention that when you're miserable, you have to find something to bring you out. And it's, it's different. Like we're not necessarily talking about, you know, like, you know, clinical, clinical depression or anything like that, but that listless, you don't, you don't love where you are. You don't like what you're doing. And I I had one of those moments I'm sure I've mentioned on the podcast before where it's comical to look back at now, but I was, I think we were, um, uh, Carrie, my wife and I were, you know, a couple of years into dating and we were living together and I went up into her art room because she was doing the stuff she was, she loved. She was doing her artwork and she's, that's what she's passionate about. And I went up to a room and I think it was in one of those existential places where I just like, I have nothing that I do that I really care about. And like I had these you know, thoughts about things, but I never actually did anything. You know, I, I wanted to write about sports and I, I did a little bit, but I never followed through. I never did anything. And she's like, fine, just try something. 
try something. It doesn't matter what it is. And it's what I did. I started writing. I started writing restaurant things. This was like early days of Yelp. I started writing when Yelp first got to Rochester. I started writing and then I, I ended up eventually doing, starting to do the podcast because of the audio things and then writing in the city newspaper for three years. And it kind of just exploded from there where everything came from the fact that I just decided to do something I enjoyed. But everything I do comes from things I enjoyed doing, from curling, from writing, from everything. It all ties together to doing things you enjoy doing and just doing it because. Just doing it because you can't not do it, because this is a thing you love. And if there's a thread and you you can do something you can't not do, do it. Don't just wait. Because... It gave me so much more than I've given into it. It's just like exponential how much I've gotten out of it because it's something I wanted to do. So on that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with more from James, yeah, from James Brown and the USA Today. In this brief break from the podcast with James Brown from USA Today, make sure you go to curatemeals.com to order your meal for May 4th or May 15th. You can order two weeks ahead and hopefully you order pickups. You can come get a custom drink pairing at the German house with my friend Chris Grocky and you can meet the rest of the Curate team. Again, go to curatemeals.com to order your meal for May 4th or May 15th. And now back to the show. And we're back with the second half of our conversation with James Brown of USA Today. Is there a division that you work for? Or you actually just work for USA Today proper? I work for USA Today proper. USA Today proper. And uh, the Five Things podcast. I'm sure you can find it on all of the podcast things. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's an interesting way to gather your thoughts about the day through the, you know, the quick daily style podcast, mm -hmm. whether it be, you know, up first or five things or those kind of things. I think it's, it's nice to get a flavor for what's going on either in the country or the world, because I, I'm an information monster. I can't, I have to understand what's going on for me to be comfortable in it. I know it can be information overload for a lot of people with, everything that's going on in the world right now and in the country. But for me, those kind of shows really help me turn my head in the direction of understanding versus, um, uh, versus not being aware. You mean understanding what's going on in the world? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. For me. And that that's just that's how it works for me. And then I do more reading and more research after, but it helps me be aware of what's going on. And, I know different people react to the overwhelming amount of news and information differently. I've always been a, I just need to know as much as I can possibly know kind of person. Yeah. I, I think it varies wildly per person. I think the type of person that would listen to a podcast like that or, or, or is the information junkie. There's someone who's seeking it out and they're not a passive consumer of information. Yeah. I think most people are more passive. Mm-hmm. And it's the degree of passivity that sort of defines them and their content consumption. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's, I, I just, I, I find it very useful. You know, those, those kind of things at least gives me that burst of information. And then it's, all right, do I want to learn more about economics? And I'll listen to, 
you know, listen to Planet Money and get the, you know, well-produced, you know, podcast version of economics news. Sure. Versus trying to listen to like The Economist, which is. It's deeper. A little deeper and a significantly drier. Yeah. <laughs> a lot more British. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> um, but all that stuff gets you to, you know, maybe dive in a little more on a topic or learn the next thing or learn the next thing and get context to what's going on with everything. Oh, anyways. So I think before we started, we were talking about how we had met and how we had scheduled. This was talking about cheap, cheap eats in Rochester. And I don't want to ignore food since I guess technically this is a food podcast, but whatever we're here right now, which is all that really matters, but let's talk about food. Um, so what are the kind of places? So you grew up in Rochester, as you mentioned, um, what are the kind of places that you grew up on in Rochester that were like the places that you ate as a child? Not out much. Okay. I was a really, really poor kid. Mm-hmm. Like, and when you're really, really poor, and I mean, not kind of poor, not, not, uh, not like a sort of like, you know, Oh, I, I, I struggled a bit. No, really fucking poor. Yeah. Um, you don't go out very often. Yeah. In fact, you get, you get excited for Pudgy's Pizza. Oh, yeah. That I, was a deal. Still exists? Yeah, absolutely. Corner of North Goodman and what street? And Norton. Norton. Yeah, that's right. Um, so what, what were the foods that, what were the foods you remember fondly as a kid then? What were the foods you ate that you, that you remember? Well, all right, so I, I can put them in a couple buckets. Yeah. There's the homemade bucket. Of course. And then there's the fast food bucket. Mm-hmm. Fast food bucket would be, and I, I wouldn't say I loved this food, but it was around a lot. My mom and my siblings loved Burger King. Okay, they were big fans of uh, of that sauce. Is it hollandaise? Is it, what, what's the the special? What's this sauce? A uh, burger sauce? Yeah, that that Burger King sauce on like a. I, I don't know exactly what it is. I never liked it. I, I always found that sauce that they would put on it. I don't think it's mayo. Well, so burger sauce, so uh, they don't, they use mayo, but it's commercial mayo. So a commercial big industrial mayo has a different flavor than like one you'll just buy in a jar. So when you get to, I mean, not that that's not industrial, but we're talking like, you know, the gallons of buckets of that stuff. It may have just been straight mayo, but um, burger sauce, which is more like an in and out thing, is like the combo of mayo, ketchup, um, mustard, and sometimes relish that Ooh. turns into burger sauce or chopped onions. Ooh. That's kind of like the Big Mac sauce is yeah. kind of that combination of those things in a, you know, the, the ratios are all different depending on the place. But sometimes it's the flavor of that flavor of that like huge industrial mayonnaise that you can't replicate unless you're buying it in gallons. Yeah. <laughs> That does not sound pleasant. The look on your face. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to buy gallons of, of something you're going to ingest, and then we're going to just scoop some and throw it on some meat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, no, I definitely I definitely grew up on Burger King, too. But So Burger King was big. Like I said, Pudgy's Pizza was big. Yep. Um, my, my grandma lived in... Uh, sort of in the Hudson Joseph area. Mm-hmm. So like that Pudgies was like one of the few places that would actually come and deliver to us. And eventually Salvatore's did as well. Okay. 
so like a Salvatore sheet pizza was also like one of those things that you're like, oh, wow. That's like a gathering, like a special event kind of thing. It was a thing, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Is that the general area you grew up was there or? It was uh, partly there and partly in sort of the South Plymouth mm-hmm. and I, in Genesee Street areas. So those were, I'd say those were the two largest chunks of my childhood. Okay. Yeah, and um, uh, fascinating areas to eat now as well. Absolutely. Uh, there's a lot of sort of Caribbean places that have cropped up around there. I, I, I visited Three Little Birds recently. I, uh, I visited Livy's recently. Livy's is just just a delight. I love that place so much. It's a Jamaican place on Chiwai Ave that's got a little grocery store, but... Mm-hmm. Man, the people are people are fantastic. The food's really good. I love that place. Yeah, it's very good. I I wouldn't say it's the tip top of uh, uh, Jamaican in Rochester, yep. but it, it's pretty good. Like I I it, it's it's and it's one of the most consistent ones too. Absolutely. Like I I visited a fair amount where where I I have enjoyed it, and another one in the area. Of course, People's Choice is in that area as well. Yeah, People's Choice over on Brooks now. Brooks. Where it, w- it used to be on Chiwai. Absolutely, yes. That was a, it was a very, the place had a very different feel mm-hmm. when it was on Chiwai. It was a, you know, just, just a window when mm-hmm. you went into the room. Uh, their location now over on Brooks near the, you know, on the opposite side of the airport mm-hmm. um, is really cool. And they're, I mean, they're always busy and they're always, they're always hustling, trying something different with now, what they're doing. Now it's. Pre-pandemic, they were allowing sit-down. Yeah. Uh, now that pandemic is gone, they 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 don't really do that. But uh, they they have this uh, pay at, uh, pay what you can thing going on right now. Uh, so if you can't if you can't afford it, they will they will still feed you. Yeah, I'll have to go in soon because every time they do that, I try to go in and just you know make sure that I'm supporting them from the other side of that, and you know because it's it's a great thing to do for the people that depend on those kind of places for. For, you know, for food and have that ability to go to, you know, great restaurants like that. Absolutely. And I love their cabbage. Oh, really good. Cabbage. Very good. Very good. I, I enjoy it a lot. Yeah. Another Jamaican spot. This is not a full on restaurant, but um, they, they do uh, jerk wings at DNL groceries. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, it might take a while. <laughs> no offense, DNL groceries, but if you go there, you order jerk wings. You might be be standing there for a while. Yeah, but they're good, and they're the old style wings. So, like when you order a wing, you actually get two wings with the tips. Yes. Oh, you gotta have the, if you're doing full wings, you gotta have the little tips at the end that you can gnaw on the yes gnaw on the bone. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it, it's fantastic food. Mm-hmm. I, I I've gone there a fair amount over the years. So yeah, it's a very interesting food area. Yeah, I think the the ones that the ones that kind of popped me in the last couple of years, um, working on curate and working on some other stuff has been um, the one that kind of that was really good was a uh, Camaro's West African over on Plymouth. So it's in the plaza, that Plymouth Plaza, right in the middle of there. Mm-hmm. Um, that place really, you know, I'd done a lot of reading about you know West African food in the last few years and. I hadn't had the hadn't had the opportunity to try it, and it was one of those moments when you taste and like, oh right, this is all of those foods we're talking about. There's the ties to Jamaican food. There's the ties to obviously 
you know, soul, you know, Southern food, really Southern food in general, uh, the food of, you know, Puerto Rico and, um, New Orleans, all those foods, obviously roots in West African cuisine. I haven't been. What's a good dish? Oh boy. So there was a couple dishes that kind of popped me in my head that like, Oh, this ties to those so clearly. One was a, um, it was a atieke chicken, which is like, um, like couscous, like a uh, cassava root. Okay. Um, so it has that texture, but it's a roasted chicken with like a pepper sauce. And for me, like, oh, wow, this ties to Jamaican food so clearly. I could taste the spices. I could taste some of that, but it's not the same. But you can see the roots of that transition through. Um, uh, another one's like a peanut butter soup, which is just, it was maybe the best thing I tried all of last year. Peanut butter soup. Yes, sir. So it's not always peanut butter. It's, I think if, I'm not going to get this 100% right, but it's like, it's a ground nut soup. Huh. You know, so peanuts being a ground nut, especially here. Um, I think peanuts are pretty common in West Africa as well. But this is where my lack of deep knowledge comes in. Um, it can be any ground nut, but peanuts are pretty common in it. Um, so it's got, it's savory and body and stuff. We We should go. I would love to. I would love to go there and uh, have a meal because it's yeah. it's a delight. Um, and but that that's the kind of place where oh, this ties, this ties history, this ties all that stuff together to me as soon as I tasted it, because reading about it sometimes only gets you to a certain thing, and then you taste it like oh, all these connections came clearly into my head. Very interesting. Because like oh yeah of course this is the you know this is the West African diaspora of all the people being, you know, being, you know, forcibly transported across all of our area. But all those flavors are so clear when you taste them. Wow. wow. So you can taste where gumbo comes from. You can taste, you know, some of those Southern dishes. You can taste Jamaican food all from that. Wow. I definitely got to try it. Well, let, let's do it. Oh, hundred um, percent. Caribbean heritage over there as well. Doing some of that vegan stuff for, mm-hmm. for your vegan boy over here. Um, ah, you're vegan. Yes, sir. Almost two years now. Now, what's that adjustment like? Is oh, it hard? Boy. Yeah, it it is and isn't. Um, you know, I'll still do tastings because I have to keep up on what's going on. But like, for example, I was in Buffalo a few weeks ago and I uh, sat down for an entire, you know, they did a whole menu tasting. I had one bite of everything. Able to analyze and give feedback and that stuff, but I probably had a third of a meal. Okay. Um. I think for me, it's been pretty easy, but the foods I love, not, I mean, there's some things I can't have that I love. Like I can't go get my jerk chicken. I can't go get my roast pork from the Puerto Rican places and all that stuff. Well, it begs a couple questions. Yeah. Could you, is it a, is it an ethical thing? Is it a, is it a health thing? Is it, um, because you could yep. be, uh, a 95.5 if you if you wanted to still be mostly vegetarian. Yeah. I know I have multiple friends that are like, oh, yeah, I'll eat meat, but only lightly mm-hmm. and, and irregularly. I think for me, it'd be a special occasion kind of thing at best. I feel better. So, yes, it's both. It's it's health and ethical and moral. I think from a from a global standpoint, I think it is the right thing to do for animal welfare, for, for the environment. I think it's, I think it's the right thing to do. I, I'm not, I'm not one of the like 
I'm not going to be one of the, you know, proselytizers when it comes to veganism. I'm happy to talk about how it's affected me. I feel a lot better. It's worked for me. Uh, but, you know, everybody needs to do what they think is the right thing and what they can sustainably do and feel good about. I All I ask of people is think about what you're doing. And you, you can make the same decisions, but if you have the opportunity to, you know, support, you know, support animals that were raised well, you know, and, uh, you know, maybe buy from a farm or do that kind of stuff, yeah, you'll probably end up with something, one, that tastes better, and two, something that was probably more ethically raised. Yeah, it's one of those things that I, like I said, I have friends that have made similar decisions. I haven't. I, I still eat meat. Sure. Um, I, I I don't feel guilty about it. No, I'm not um, saying people have to be. Yeah, uh, and whether it's ethical or not, or not is an interesting thought. I know that there are levels of meat and levels of food in terms of like even just like quality beyond prep, you know, just started with the raw meat material, mm-hmm. right? Like you were saying, like if you get directly from a farm versus, you know, a, 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 a giant factory farm, the quality is probably better, at least in terms of taste. I don't know in terms of nutrition. I don't know. It, it's a little bit hard to delineate. I believe you can, you can discern it, but it's, it's not the biggest driver. I think generally speaking, if the things that you're consuming are consuming things that are more full of, you know, nutrients. It's likely to me that you would be getting better nutrients from it, whether it be the, you know, uh, vegetables that you eat or the meat that you consume. If they're eating a more, you know, wide ranging, diverse diet of, you know, nutrients, it's likely that you'll be, you know, having more nutrients in your food. I can't directly prove that probably. But I can say if you're growing if you're growing really good vegetables in healthful soil instead of, you know, stuff that was, you know, you know, dripped with just chemicals to feed the food, it's probably gonna be more healthful. Yeah, we're we're just taking a guess here, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're probably right on that that notion. I, the other question that I had for you about that yeah, is sure. like, do you miss chicken wings? Oh boy. What I can say is that I have a lot of nostalgic feelings about chicken wings. I don't, I actually don't miss a lot of meat. It's, I think when I first started, I probably missed stuff a little bit more. I had a couple moments. um, I was on the road in Milwaukee for a while and I went into a coffee shop and they were, it was, they were just opening and they were batch cooking the bacon for the day Mm. for all of their breakfast sandwiches. That smell. And I could smell that it was good bacon. It wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, commercial bacon. It was like, I could smell that it was good bacon, that it was made properly. And I just had one of those like almost shaking visceral reactions to like, oh man, I got to get that in me right now. I didn't, but like that rang with me the rest of the day. To your point, when you contacted me earlier today, because- Uh, full disclosure, I forgot that this was about to happen. <laughs> and I get a message. I was like, oh, I did. Yes. Okay, sure. We'll make it happen. I was at the public market. And I ran into some people. Yeah. 
And I, in there, back when Scott's was in full throttle there, mm-hmm. that's one where like, oh, they've made a point to get good eggs and good bacon. And the best bread for a breakfast sandwich, Absolutely. as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. Fresh. Hard roll. Absolutely. Perfect. Yeah. So sh- shout out to my buddy Matt Knotts over at the Beer Review Journal and the Lunch at Our Podcast Network for being a garbage person and liking bad bread on your breakfast sandwich. Um, <laughs> well, it could be it could be okay. No, no, that bread's perfect. Yeah. So he he has an affinity for the for that multi tiered DePaulo style roll. Okay. Here in town, I. It's okay. The Marticello's roll that they used, to me, that is the ideal roll for a breakfast sandwich. I want that little bit of crustiness mm-hmm. on there and that there's a chew and not just a melty softness to the to the uh, texture of the bread. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if I was to eat a greasy breakfast sandwich, Scott's was really the classic greasy breakfast sandwich. That griddle has seen some stuff. For sure. Over all those years of that, you know, that... Uh, you know, that, uh, that building that was outside, mm-hmm. but that, that grill has seen things, mm-hmm. no doubt. And it's, it's never going to get completely clean. No. You're going to have to take the whole thing out <laughs> in order for it to work. But it's part of the price you pay when you use, well, I think any dish repeatedly. Oh, yeah. There's going to be some residue left, in a, in, especially on a commercial level when when you're, when you got many people coming through there over and over again, getting, I don't know, I had to have had 15 of those at some point. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's one of those great wafting smells because especially in summer Mm -hmm. when it wasn't blocked off, you could, there was this radiating smell that would just come surround that small area of the public market where it was. But what, what also is a great it was also a place where so many people came together. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had uh, Councilman Mitch Gruber over not that long ago. This was in December. Yeah. And we talked about the public market being that central location where everybody everybody goes. Very much so. It's not one part of Rochester. All parts of Rochester go to the public market. It is a melting part. It is, it is one of those true thing where you where you'll you'll run into people of all races, all creeds, and just you'll bounce in and say hello. And I've run into Mitch a few there a few times. Yeah. I don't uh, and and I think that um that's thankfully will continue post Scots. But yeah. um but I think um I think it's one of those spots that is a uniter in terms of uh, foods. I don't think there's much many other places that you could say that about the region where people of all types, all ki- kinds will just gather and spend a good hour just wandering around, bouncing into people. Like this morning, I bounced into, I met four new people. I bounced into two people that I hadn't seen in in a while, uh, I, I including a couple of former uh, co-workers. Mm-hmm. I often, after I go, will he- get messages, whether it's on social media or text, like, oh, I saw you at the public market. Why didn't you say hi? <laughs> well, 
you look busy. I did? <laughs> I wasn't. I was just walking. <laughs> <laughs> I've been told I have a scowl sometimes. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I think it, it's it's a functional scowl, I'm sure. <laughs> that was more rock. That was more the rock than a functional scowl. <laughs> you had the eyebrow raise. <laughs> Oh, God. Well, let's finish our talk about other places in town. Um, so any other any other spots for you that, like, to you mean Rochester? Man. That, like, for you are your places that you go and you're like, oh, this is my place. Food-wise. Yeah. What Food-wise or otherwise, I don't care at this point. Interesting. I think I've lost a lot of that. Yeah. I think I, there were there are places that 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 were that for me that have sort of faded. At one point, I would have said Lux was that. Sure. I don't think it is at this point. Just I feel like I'm in a different point of my life where just like go there, it feels like I'm walking into my twenties, mm-hmm. which is good, fun, but I, I don't want to be there in no. my in my not for long periods. Uh, I'll visit. I'd still see a lot of the same faces. Yeah. Especially for Thursday, Friday night happy hour. Nice to visit, but you wouldn't want to live there. Absolutely. Yeah. I, there's a lot of coffee shops that have come and gone where they wore like, holy crap. Like, I think of the old Muddy Waters, which were, was near the corner of South Clinton in South Goodman. Oh, I didn't know that place. Behind the cinema. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I know exactly where it is. Yep. And right near where Addis Ababa, Ethiopian, yes. is now. Yeah, very good Ethiopian. Restaurant. Yeah, really nice. Uh, but uh, I, I'm the amount of people I met just hanging out there. And also at that time of my life, just like, holy crap, I'm just spending countless hours getting coffee cup after coffee cup after coffee cup, <laughs> sketching in notebooks. You know, plotting my my uh, takeover of the world. Call back, call back to the beginning, call back. Absolutely. <laughs> and like the the amount of people I met, and some who who who've stayed in my life, and that that was one that certainly felt like home. Yeah. Uh, I don't really have that home base place that I go to all of the time. I would like it. I, I am searching for a hole in the wall. With decent food, decent mm-hmm. to good food, that uh, that will be my place. So I am, for anyone listening, I am up for sale in that <laughs> in that regard. Like you want you want to take a good fifty bucks every week out of my pocket. You, uh, restaurant tours, you can you can get me. You just gotta have like a spot at the bar where I can hang out. I could I could talk to a, a bartender that's affable. Mm-hmm. I'll tip them well. I try to tip my bartenders well, as long as they tell me not to get up and out of the seat. <laughs> it, it's busy. I can meet random people. You get this gregarious guy. I like to think I'm gregarious. I, I think uh, we've been talking for probably a couple hours now, so I think most people would think that I'm a pretty I'm a talker. So you know, um, hey, if you have a spot that I could hang out at your bar. I, I, I'm, I'm up for it. If you want a guy with a nice sweater who's yeah. going to engage with your guests, yes, like James Brown's your guy. Yeah, it's. Uh, I went very Cosby. 
it, it feels I feel very comforted. Yeah, yeah. It's a very it's it's green in in that old school like patterned up and down sweater. It, yeah. It's almost knit. Yeah. I, I it feels very comfortable. Oh yeah, it feels <laughs> warm. Well, I think we have a lot more to talk about. Sure. I think what we're going to do, we're going to cut it off for today. All right. Because this could be endless. Yeah, we absolutely could. And I think what we'll do is let's plan on doing this somewhat regularly because I think we could do, you know, current topics. We could do anything. Sure. Let's dabble in some of your radio goals. Let's just do an hour every so often. Okay. Yeah, sure. I'll be down. I would love to do that because this goes with everything I love. So, um, so James Brown, uh, where can people find you again? You can find me anywhere at James Brown TV okay. on, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, anywhere. And, uh, and, uh, you can find links to all the stuff I'm working on in those places. And subscribe to the five things podcast on any of your podcast applications to listen to James on there. And, you know, stay tuned for more from the food about town podcast and James, but uh, if you want to find me, you can find me at Stromy on Twitter and Instagram. I just, after eight years, I made an Instagram page for the podcast, Food About Town Podcast on uh, Instagram. And uh, otherwise, you can, <laughs> Jesus, give me a terrible, terrible look. Eight years later? Eight years later. Don't, don't, don't give me that look. It's too, it's too early in the day for that kind of withering gaze. Okay. We'll, we'll talk about it after. Um, so, um, you know, subscribe to the Food About Town podcast on Instagram. Um, also, if you're looking for a cool meal from small restaurants in Rochester, go to curatemeals.com to buy for our next event on a Wednesday evening and get some of the best of what Rochester has to offer. Um, James, thanks so much for coming over to the studio, and we'll see you again soon on the Food About Town podcast. Thanks for having me.